I'm Mike Breen, Public Awareness Officer for the American Mathematical Society, and I'm talking with Chris Butson, who is the Director of Neuromodulation Research at the Scientific Computing and Imaging Institute at the University of Utah, and we're talking about work that he's done involving Parkinson's disease. Uh, so, Chris, can you tell us what you've done and, and what math is involved? Sure. So, this is an area where I have been working in my lab and also with collaborators for about 10 years. And deep brain stimulation is a type of therapy that has been used for Parkinson's disease and essential tremor and is FDA approved for those therapies. And that's been a great success story for the therapy and also can provide life-changing improvements for patients with those conditions. But one of the, the big challenges that we face in the field is that we don't currently have imaging methods that can predict or visualize the effects of deep brain stimulation in individual patients. And it turns out that this, this ability is really important, especially because the success of deep brain stimulation for these movement disorders has generated a lot of excitement. And so people are now considering the use of deep brain stimulation in many, many other patient populations not just other movement disorders like dysonia, but also in conditions such as depression, obsessive compulsive disorder, Tourette syndrome, Alzheimer's, and there's a growing list of potential indications. And so what we've done in, in my lab is we use computational models to predict and visualize the effects of deep brain stimulation on an individual patient basis. And the math behind these systems is to solve two significant computational problems. The first one is to solve bioelectric field problems using finite element modeling. So we generate finite element models of individual patient brains that include the stimulation system. And we predict the electric field that's produced in the patient's brain during stimulation. And the, these electric field calculations take into account not only the spatial voltage distribution, but also the time dependence of the voltage distribution, because we know that there's time-dependent stimulation waveforms that are being produced by these stimulation systems. And the second big step in terms of the mathematics and computation is using large populations of multi-compartmental neuron models that have nonlinear ion channel kinetics. And so these are large systems of nonlinear differential equations that are solved by numerical integration in time. So really the, the first part of the problem, the finite element problem and the bioelectric field problem, is also a, a numerical problem, but it's really a spatial problem, and the second one is, is really a, a temporal problem. And so the patient's undergone an initial surgery, and I think I've seen video where the person, you can see the person's hand all of a sudden is, is working perfectly, but to get the adjustment right, to get that hand to work perfectly, it often takes many visits, and you somehow have found a way where a surgeon can visualize what's going on on a mobile device. Sure, yeah, these days, there, there are a lot of videos out there showing, for example, tremor arrests in a very well-selected patient. And so well-selected means the patient is a good candidate for surgery, and they can be, we hope, effectively treated using deep brain stimulation. The lead, the DBS electrode is in the right location in the patient's brain, and that we're using the right type of stimulation to achieve a good therapeutic outcome. And, and tremor arrest is, is a really good one because if you see a patient who has good tremor arrests, it doesn't take any medical training to look at a video and say, oh, that patient just is much better right now. But it doesn't always work out that way. We have some patients who just are not good responders. And we don't really have a good tool set at our disposal 
to figure out why, or be able to predict for that matter. I think the, the real problem we're trying to get at is, is to have greater predictive power about who will respond to therapy best and how they will respond specifically. So when a patient doesn't respond, it could be a whole variety of factors. Maybe they had a misdiagnosis, or maybe their electrodes were in the wrong location, or maybe we just haven't figured out the best way to, to program the device yet to give them the best therapy. So one thing that we've done is we've taken these computational models, we've built interactive 3D rendering things of these models, and we put those onto mobile devices, such as the, the iPad and the iPhone. When we did this, we used a free iOS app called ImageViz 3D Mobile, which was developed by um, Jens Kruger and his team, and he was my principal collaborator on this project. So Jens and his team developed another really important person in that process was, was Tom Fogel. And so they developed this app that does interactive volume rendering. And then we worked with them to get our 3D models into this app. And so this is really nice because for many reasons, one of which is that a lot of the modeling that we do, it has a lot of visual appeal, but just taking pictures, 2D pictures, and sending it to people is kind of universally ungratifying. So what's nice about this is now we can actually send people 3D models. And I think what's even better about it is that ImageViz 3D Mobile has a very simple and intuitive interface. And so we began to generate these 3D models, put them in ImageViz 3D Mobile on an iPad, and we would give this to clinicians. And so I think the first part of that success story was just that it was taking less than 10 minutes to train naive users. And that's really remarkable, and, and I attribute that to, to Jens and Tom and their team for making such a simple and intuitive system. And then we also found that when clinicians use this interactive system for selecting deep brain stimulation settings, they were making selections that were virtually identical to what they had chosen in standard care, but they were doing so in, in drastically less time. And so we were comparing their performance using this mobile app to what they had done in standard care. And so now the next step is that we are going to test this prospectively. In other words, we're going to take new Parkinson's disease patients who have deep brain stimulation, and after surgery, we're going to randomize them to standard care or to have them managed by clinicians who are using this mobile app. That's Chris Butson. And in part two, Chris will talk about what motivated his research and where he is in the approval process for his work.